That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. This is the Mega Draft preview episode of three yards per carry it's a special one and we do have a special topic to start us out here but first i want to say that i am ck and i have as with with me as always simon clancy and alf artiaga and by the way we are part of the five reasons sports network with ethan skolnick and chris whittingham and we do have news news we do have a new twitter account for the three yards per carry podcast it is at Three, that's the number three, three yards per carry. So you can find us there, or you can find me at, at CK Parrot, or you can find Simon at, at SI Clancy, C L A N C Y, or you can find uh, Alf over at, at Uptown Report. Now go to any one of those Twitter, uh, Twitter accounts, and you can find us all, in, uh, or you can subscribe to us on iTunes. But first, I want to get into the big topic. This is probably the biggest topic that we're going to discuss today. It is the story of the draft. The story of the draft. Alf, I I want you to take this away. Okay. In the fourth round, which, you know, you're going to see sometime on Saturday, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to send a parrot up to the stage to announce their pick. You heard me correct. This is is not announce. And the parrot's name is Zaza, by the way. Not a CK parrot, just a parrot. Okay. Just, Just a parrot. Now, I did a little bit of investigative reporting on this, and supposedly they're giving the card to the handler of the parrot, and the handler of the parrot is going to tell the parrot what to say, and the parrot is going to announce it into a microphone. Now, what's to stop her from picking the guy that she wants to pick, or he? Do you think the parrots have that much knowledge of who's left on the board? Uh, As much as we're going to have at that point. Well, speak for yourself, buddy. (laughs) So we're going to have a rogue parrot in there announcing you know what some some seventh round kicker <laughs> I, I've, I've got a i've got a question an ornithological question for you is oh. a macaw is a macaw part of the parrot family or vice versa i'm of not course. an ornithologist yeah macaw okay. is a parrot yes good i knowledge. believe so good knowledge yeah i you know i if, if we want the expert on here i can always just uh phone up my wife she is uh she is the biology phd in the family so though so she can uh, she can let you know and she will be more than happy to i've got a great quote for you though the handler Okay, said that we do know which parrots we look after would be friendlier or more open to a situation like this. We knew Zaza was a good candidate. She's young, friendly, and we know she's talkative. 
That sounds Doesn't like re- somebody I'd like to talk to at Tootsie's. To be honest, it sounds like <laughs> she sounds more intelligent than half of our front office. <laughs> I think we should have the parrot on on the podcast. She couldn't like be anyone than me. Now, a, of, a course, of course, this you know could one... be a stunt by NFL Network to have Mike Mayock's head explode right on air. Do you know what the one thing that they're not I... looking forward to happening? What? No potty accidents, apparently. Oh, okay. <laughs> There you go. Now you're fully up to date with everything that's happening. Wow, we are we are off to a special start. Uh, well, now that we're off to this this wonderful wonderful uh, top. Actually, we've ju- I think we've just uh, talked about the only interesting thing in the draft. So so we should probably just quit. Just wrap but, it up. Uh, while we're here, actually, since everybody likes to talk about quarterbacks, uh, we are going to start off with talk about quarterbacks. We're going to place our top five quarterbacks. Um, these are the five guys we think are going to go pretty early in the draft. And so I'll start off and I'll say that I think that number one overall, and I've been saying this for a while, but I think number one overall is going to be Baker Mayfield with the Cleveland Browns. I think that that guy is perfect for John Dorsey. I think that their their consultant, Scott McGlagan, has already said you know he he revealed in october that this is his favorite quarterback in the draft the guy he would start a franchise with um and so i think that they could shock everybody nobody knows absolutely nobody knows anybody and who Scott says McLean that, doesn't know though either does he because no only, he doesn't <laughs> the only person we're not joking on this the only person that knows right now he is, didn't even tell his wife is john dorsey yeah I, so, it's it's really incredible and and based on what we're hearing you know we're we're hearing all kinds of things back there. We're hearing really crazy, wacky things like they're taking two quarterbacks, you know, one and four. And uh, and it's just a credit to John Dorsey and what he's doing there because, boy, he has got everybody stopped. I'm stopped. Are, we picking, yeah, are, we, are we picking guys here in order of how we like them or how we think they're going to come off the board? I think it was I think it's how we're how they're going to come off the board. Okay. I'll I'll start off. You know, I started off in number one, where I think Baker Mayfield is going to go off the board. I think it's Mayfield one and Donald to the Giants at two. Uh, I don't think I don't think Rosen goes two. I think Donald would go two. I think I think that's right. I think the Giants have been coveting Sam Darnold, and they would take Saquon Barkley. They really like him, and they would go there. But um, I think that. Darnold's the guy, the only quarterback, probably the only one that they like. And so if he manages to get to two, then that's where he's going to go. Yeah, I would say that Rosen would go next to the Jets, personally. I just think I just think that that's what they would do. Although, with Bridgewater and Josh McCown, there there is a security net for Josh Allen in that he doesn't have to start for one, two, three years, the, the time that you're probably going to need to really get him to hone, you know, what he really does well, uh, you know, and what he does well, he really does well, but the things that perhaps he doesn't do as well, maybe he doesn't do them close to as well as the other guys don't do their bad things, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, that would be how I would see it playing out. You know, I think I, I think I would lean toward that. I think I'd lean toward Allen, really, at three to the Jets. Uh, I, th- I do kind of buy some of the stuff that we're talking about with Josh Rosen and, you know, being uncomfortable with him speaking out and i know that the jets owner is you know a big a big uh donald trump supporter and here you have your franchise quarterback wearing f trump hats you know i I don't know if that works for them and also uh, you know does does his attitude or does his i I don't want to call it attitude like like it's a negative thing but does his character work for todd bowles too i think that's the other thing you have to 
taken we, account of. I mean, we're talking about conservative billion, American billionaires, the majority of whom are going to be Donald Trump fans. I, I, I doubt some Sam Donald's politics jive particularly with the, you know, with the Haslam family necessarily, or Baker Mayfield's jive. Do you know what I mean? There are, are obviously going to, you know, do, do, do Rob, Robert Kraft and, and, and Tom Brady sit politically on the same page? Brady might tell you he does, but Giselle will tell you a very different story. Does Aaron Rodgers and the, the Packers ownership, do they, you know, Aaron is clearly a uh, left-leaning quarterback. Does he jive with what the, what the Packers do? So, you know, in terms of their... Well, they don't really have an owner, do they? No, but you know what I mean. In terms of the, yeah. the, that sort of that Wisconsin kind of vibe, in terms of how they how they feel uh, politically, I, I don't know. I just I think to me, I think Josh Allen is the one that's going to fall perhaps more than people have talked about. And I just think when it when push comes to shove, maybe Allen will be the one that takes the tumble. And we've talked about does Rosen fall, does Barkley fall, does um, Baker fall? But I just get the feeling that that maybe Allen is the one that takes the tumble. I don't know. I think that the Dolphins have made the Bills nervous that they might just move up to take Allen ahead of the Dolphins. You've got Buffalo, but you've also got Arizona. Mm -hmm. You've got the Chargers, potentially. You've got the Ravens, and then you've got New England. You know, and I mean, I think we almost need to talk about the possibility. You know, we're talking about five quarterbacks in the first round. Do we need to talk about the possibility of six or maybe even seven quarterbacks in the first round? And I say that because look at fifth-year options, for example. You know that is a, that is an important factor when it comes to, you know, let let's say the let's say the the Patriots stay where they are and they take Carla Letta with their second first round pick, because the fifth year option is so important and because Laletta fits really well what they do. You know, did Denver maybe move up like they did with Paxton Lynch and, and take a take a Mason? Really, do you know what I mean? There, there, there's yeah. just you know. Do, do Cleveland take people talking about Cleveland taking quarterbacks at one and four? What if they take a quarterback at one and thirty-three, for example? Uh, you know, obviously that's not in the first round, but you know what I mean. That uh, but trading think, up from thirty-three. Yeah, maybe. yeah, potentially. I think there could be a possibility that we talk about will five go. I'm pretty sure five will go. Will six go? I think we have to look potentially at the possibility that seven could go in the first round, just knowing what we know about this being a quarterbacks league. That would be an incredible first round. Seven Wouldn't quarterbacks Wouldn't in the first round. But I mean, you know, that's, New Orleans, that's look, looks, look, at, right? look at Cincinnati at 22. New Orleans, you know, Drew Brees is not getting any younger. You know, that's a, what's mm-hmm. that one-year deal he signed? And then, the, you know, those teams at the – let's say the Giants pass on on a quarterback at two. What if, they, what if they're sitting around at 34 and jump up to 29 or something and, you know, and take a Mason Rudolph? We just don't know. It's just – I just wonder – whether the might you know that might be the story of the draft that we end up talking about seven quarterbacks in the first round and not the five that we think. Well, my simple a- my simple reasoning going team for team, I placed Lamar Jackson at twenty one to Cincinnati. What do you guys think? I don't think I I, th- I don't know that he's getting past the the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, yeah, I think that the Arizona Cardinals at fifteen, I I don't think he gets past there. In fact, they might even trade up to get him. I, what you have to pay attention to, and I thought. Dave Hyde of the South Florida Sun Sentinel did a really good job pointing this out. Uh, Bruce Arians, who still speaks with the people in Arizona, is stumping hard for mm. Lamar Jackson. And he's saying, you know, this is this is the guy that I want the Cardinals to take. This, I think this guy, you build a franchise with him. Um, you know, he compared him to Vince Young, which isn't such a great comparison, but he also made it a point to say, you know, I'm not sure why Vince Young didn't, really succeed i thought i know that he he did initially but i I read somewhere and i I heard him talking about it and he said he didn't put the work in well i think lamar jackson is going to put the work in 
And I think that he's a guy that could carry a franchise. He's in really exciting town. You know, this is one of the foremost minds, maybe if not the foremost my offensive mind in uh, connected with the NFL right now is Bruce Arians. And when he says something like that, you really got to pay attention, especially if you're the Arizona Cardinals and you're still kind of talking to him and he kind of retired on good terms with you. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I wonder, will he even get that? Will he even get to 15? Do you know what I mean? I yeah, just, yeah. I, I don't know. I, Again, you know, and, and we talk about, oh, there's that kind of cadre of uh, of the Mel Kuypers and the Todd McShays and the, you know, and the Lewis Riddicks and the Mike Mayox. But, you know, because they've been around for so long and they're very well respected, you know, that teams do talk to them because they have their own connections with players and things. And, I, you know, I'm sure that general managers and, and pro personnel directors do have conversations. You know, you have to listen to Mike Mayock talking about Lamar Jackson. He calls him the most explosive offensive player in the draft, mm-hmm. or the most explosive player in the draft. You know, Mike, he, Mike Mayock is a big fan of Lamar Jackson. And Mayock's love of Jackson doesn't just come from his own. He's being fed information from teams who are telling him they really like Jackson. I, there's part of me that just thinks he will not get to, he will not get to that, that, that spot. You know, and Mayock, he, Mayock has yeah. Lamar Jackson going to the, the Ravens at 16. In his yeah, last you see, month. I can absolutely see that. And, you know, Even that might about, be a stretch. Yeah. And, and he, he has he, Rosen going 15 to the Cardinals. Well, uh, that, that could be, be a trade-up. That could, you know, that, who knows. But. That would be interesting. But, you know, people talk about, you know, people talk about, oh, Lamar Jackson, he's not intelligent and he's not this and he's not that. And we've talked about it before, but it's worth reiterating. You know, that Bobby Petrino offense that, you know, a vast array of formations and pre-snap responsibilities and reads and sight adjustments and, you know, kind of having to morph on the fly if, if things look different post-snap to what they did pre-snap. He's not, you know, this is not just a one-look offense, is it, Chris, that he was running? This was a complicated NFL-style offer, and it came out the shotgun, obviously. But, you know, it wasn't a typical sort of chuck-and-dump spread offense that he ran, was it? It was totally different. No, I, absolutely. It was uh, It was one of the most extensive uh, offense or pro-style offenses that you see out in the college football world. And... While there has been sort of a whisper campaign that he didn't come off so good on the whiteboard or he couldn't explain things, um, you have seen the, some of those things out there from supposedly from anonymous scouts. Uh, hard to know what to believe there, of course. Uh, he doesn't have an agent, so he could have different people kind of going against him. You never know. Uh, but he did run it. He proved it. He ran it on the field. like He, he ran that offense. And I think something that... Alf and I have talked about that uh, that we don't like maybe about him are his mechanics and the way that he comes off, you know, with a narrow base and things like that. And something that we were reading recently from Pro Football Weekly is they were talking to his quarterback coach, who's been his quarterback coach since coming out of high school. He's the guy that kind of tutors him during the summers away from Louisville. He t- he said flat out that Louisville coached those mechanical nits into him they coached the narrow base into him i thought that had to be just bs but then i looked at his high school film and i'll be damned if he wasn't right Uh, he was not a narrow quarterback in high school he became a narrow quarterback at louisville he can't he became like some of the the worst stuff that we don't like and all of us are really armchair you know armchair experts here like we all understand how (laughs) like we all perfectly understand how a quarterback should uh his mechanics should work but it's kind of a joke but at the same time some of the things that throw us off are really things that louisville asked him 
to do. And it shows how coachable he is, maybe even to his own detriment. We, we, we're obviously going to talk about the Dolphins and what the Dolphins are going to do at 11. But just one last thing on Jackson, because Dave Hyde, as you mentioned, uh, our friend Dave Hyde talked about Lamar Jackson potentially coming off the board to the Dolphins. And you, the three of us have talked privately about what Adam Gase could do with uh, Lamar Jackson. But in that Bobby Petrino offense, what they ran an awful lot of, two things they ran an awful lot of, were switch releases, which were the receivers crisscrossed at the line of scrimmage, either either short area switch releases or deep down the field switch releases, which the Dolphins did a lot of two years ago, um, you know, when Kenny Stills had his sort of first breakout year. But also those kind of those levels concepts that Gase ran with Peyton Manning at Denver. Two things that Jackson ran extensively in that Louisville offense. There are there are an awful lot of things within the Louisville offense that Jackson ran that would be very similar to the concepts that he would run under Adam Gaze. That, for me, is very, very interesting when you look at whether or not the Dolphins might take Jackson at 11. We have a new sponsor to the show, and I'd like to introduce them now. And it's the ex-Miami apartment community. The new ex-Miami apartment community is the most fun and convenient place to live for modern Miami locals, located right across the American Airlines Arena. Too bad there won't be any more games there this year. No more free basketball. No, no, there's not. But yeah, the rents are starting at $1,200, including a huge gym, two-level co-working space, an epic pool deck. You have to see this this pool deck, by the way, online. You have to see this thing. And a lobby with a coffee shop and cocktail lounge. Manage your keys, packages, and thermostat using a game-changing mobile app. You can rent an apartment furnished or unfurnished or rent by bedroom. Learn more at xmiami.co. That's xmiami.co. Mention five reasons to get an exclusive discount at Move-In. Remember I, to get you, that discount. I, that, yeah. that, that's key. <laughs> as you can tell from my voice, I am not a local. In fact, I am 4,318 miles from Miami. But it makes me want to sell up right now and buy one of those condos. I would be there just to be next to the AAA. Just yeah. saying. If you see that pool deck, you'll get on a plane. <laughs> no, I used to live at a I used to live at a place like that in uh, in Tampa and the down what a, those places are great for young people uh, to to really you know to live in um, especially if you're close to if you're close to an arena like the uh, AAA I used to be close to the um, the Tampa the Lightning arena there so well we spoke about ex Miami but now we got to talk about why the reason that we're here which is the Miami Dolphins at eleven. What do they do? Who's going to be available? Who do you like? Which position they're going to address? Do they trade up? Do they trade down? Do they, I don't know, blow it this year? What do you think, Chris? <laughs> I, I got two words for you, and I think... Uh, they better start with Quan and Smith. <laughs> <laughs> You're blowing it for me. No, they they start they start with uh, Marcus Davenport just to get at. You. No, it's uh, I, I I agree. It's Roquan Smith. That is going to be the guy that the Miami Dolphins walk away with. Uh, you know, put some fanfare in the air. We're revealing it right here on three yards per carry. <laughs> That's uh, you know, I, I I detected an English accent just in your little trumpet and trumpeting there. I, I, it's I a little know. English trumpet I've got. <laughs> it's uncanny. Oh, oh boy, boy, you should, you really, you no, might want to cut that out later. <laughs> I mean, that hasn't come out well for me at all, has it? No, that that didn't. That you could say that. You could say that again. I need to... <laughs> the little English trumpet. That could, <laughs> that could be a T-shirt. <laughs> that's our next. That's our next that's merchandise. Our next, that's our next merchandise. No, yeah. I I think it's going to be Roquan Smith. I think the Dolphins are going to make it happen, uh, even if it doesn't happen naturally. One reason that I think it could happen, um, even without a trade or anything like that, and something that we're not talking about, is there was an early report, 
and a lot of people sort of disregarded it. It was by, uh, I think it was Tony Pauling, that several teams had medical flagged Roquan Smith as well as his teammate Lorenzo Carter. And um, and I checked, you know, I checked with our, we all have our people, and I checked, and the Dolphins did not medical flag Roquan Smith, so I sort of or Lorenzo Carter, it. by the way, or Lorenzo Carter, by the way, you're you're right. Um, so I sort of dismissed it, but as Tony Pauline sort of fleshed this out a little bit, particularly as he was getting talking about Leighton Vander Esch, the linebacker from Boise State. Uh, there was rumors that he has a neck problem and that teams have flagged him for that. And so Pauline got a look at the combine report or so he says, and the combine report grades these guys on a one through five, five being perfect health and one, I don't know, being dead. Um, so, and, and he all, but he basically all but said, and you know, we, we, we could talk to Paul Pauline himself to get him to clarify, but he all, but basically said Leighton Vander Esch was a four, and meanwhile, Roquan Smith and Lorenzo Carter were like twos. So uh, if if that is true, that, and there are some medical things in the back, background with Roquan Smith, it's a little reminiscent of another guy that we liked um, named Miles Jack out of UCLA. He had uh, sort of a knee thing, and it was probably a more serious issue that dropped him out of the first round altogether. But if Roquan has a few of those things medically in his background that make all it takes is really one or two teams to be uneasy with that. Uh, and then, bam, he's there at 11 overall. We've been talking about him not being there at 11 overall, but maybe he is. And I think either way, that's the target. That's the guy the Dolphins are going to get. I don't think he will be there at 11 because I don't think that John Gruden, who, you know, won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers, uh, with uh, Derek Brooks, uh, who's a pretty much an exact same size, weight, speed, mental ability, tackling ability, fit for Roquan Smith. I just don't see them. I just don't see. I don't see him getting even getting past Indianapolis. I think if the Dolphins are going to get Roquan Smith, and I do think they are going to get Roquan Smith, I think they will be involved in some sort of trade-up to do so. And I, I, I definitely, definitely think that that's what's going to happen. I mean, you know, I got it down to, I really got it down to three players in my mind this morning. There were the two safeties, uh, Fitzpatrick and James, and, and Roquan Smith. I, there are other players that I think are second-tier players that I think potentially we would take if those guys were off the board that we'll touch upon later. But to me, it just... I mean, it's the perfect fit. You're looking for a three-down linebacker, a leader, an alpha male, somebody who tackles. When we tackle terribly at the second level and have done for a long time, you know, even Rashad, as good as he is, doesn't tackle always particularly well. You know, he can be a bit of a thumper at times rather than a wrap-up tackler. Reiterate, Roquan Smith did not miss a single solitary tackle last season for Georgia, not one tackle. And what I find interesting about him, and I went back and watched some more tape of him today, and the, or this evening, and, and what I thought was interesting is that you look at a lot of the plays that he doesn't make in terms of tackles or force fumbles or whatever. Actually, he's making the play anyway because he's already in the position where the play is going to be, and then they have to do something. You know, they have to cut back inside, or the the, the screen that they were going to run has already been blown up because Smith's in the position. It's fascinating to watch how many plays he doesn't make by making them anyway because his instincts and his intelligence are so good, his football intelligence. To me, he's just, a you know, and the fact he's a little bit undersized, you know, this is the modern NFL. We talk about how much we like Dion Jones. You especially, Chris, are a massive fan. Dion Jones, you know, didn't singularly elevate Atlanta into the Super Bowl, but certainly had a massive effect on getting them into the Super Bowl. He came close. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Roquan Smith is a better version of Deion Jones. And to me, he is the guy that that defense absolutely needs. And you can build around him. You, you can truly, he would be your centerpiece. And I asked this question of you privately again, how much would you be prepared to give up if you believed that you were able to get your hands on a version of Patrick Willis? That to me is the most important, is the most important thing. How much would you be prepared to give up to get hold of a modern day Patrick Willis type player? I'm not saying he is Patrick Willis before everybody tweets me, but to get that kind of player. And I think you do what is necessary to do that because he potentially revolutionizes that unit. He's a plug and play starter from day one. And I suspect he is a long-term all pro linebacker. Alf, do you think that, do you think there's any schematic issues with, uh, with Roquan Smith going from, from his defense in Georgia, which is obviously a, uh, which is a carbon copy really of Nick Saban's defense in um, in Alabama. Uh, do you see that like being issue? Now we got the the wide nine approach in Miami. No, I don't see any 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 difference really, because uh, he's really built to play like a flex Mike. And if he's gonna play a flex Mike in a wide nine, all he has to do is really tackle. He has to be able to run from point A to point B and wrap people up and that's what he does best so he's a perfect fit here he's a perfect fit anywhere he's a great football player i just don't think that there's any chance whatsoever he makes it to us i think that the colts are going to have a decision to make i think they're going to sit there at six and i think buffalo's going to call them and i think arizona's going to call them and they're going to say okay we want rosen and we're prepared to trade this this and that and i think that the price for that pick is going to be so high that maybe no deal gets done. So what would you give up for it then? What would you give up to get to six? Or, you know, look, it might not be Indianapolis. It might be Denver at five. It might even be Cleveland at four. What would you give up to get him? To get Roquan Smith, the way yeah. I would look at it is this way. If my consolation prize is Minka Fitzpatrick or Derwin James, I'm fine with that. What if your consolation prize, and you're not going to know what your consolation prize would be, but what if your consolation prize would be... A second-tier player, you know, guys that we like. So you guys like Davenport, I like Jair Alexander. We all sort of like Vita Vea. We all sort of like Deron Payne, and we think that you know he's certainly a guy that we could be interested in. What do you think you would give up to get? Let's say we have a deal in place with Indianapolis. We're on the phone. We're talking. What are you going to give up? What, what do you think the price would be? Well, it's five spots, so I would try to get away with our pick and 73. Yeah, I, I think the chart actually kind of supports that. And what I would point out, though, is we have a lot of teams in the top 10 that want out, that want yeah. down. I mean, they do. The, the Colts are desperate to move down. The, um, the 49ers and 9 are desperate to move down. There's been talk lately about the Chicago Bears moving down. The latest talk, I think Gruden might have even publicly announced this, that the 10 pick is on, is for sale. Uh, the Denver Broncos pick at number five is for sale. Uh, so there there are all these teams in the top 10 that are saying we want to move down. So you know what that becomes? That becomes a buyer's market. And that means that if you start to move, particularly if the quarterbacks are off, if the quarterbacks are going you know, the way that we think that they're, they're going to go with – you know, Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and uh, and Josh Rosen and possibly uh, Josh Allen. I know you think that he might fall, but I think many other people think that that those guys are all going to go really high. If we have a situation, they're off the board. Then these guys that want to trade down, they got nothing. They got nothing, uh, you know, to to bargain with at that point. They're going to say, well, you know, just give it. What, what will you give us? 
And so if we're talking about the move up to six, then I would I, I don't even know if I would give up 73. I would maybe look at moving 73 down around or, or something like that and then giving up a, maybe a future third or something like that. Here's, uh, a, and, and, here's a road question for you. Do you think there's any link whatsoever between the uh, picking up a fifth-year option of Devontae Parker, meaning that he has two extra years on a, on a contract mm-hmm. that a new team doesn't have to pay for, with the draft only three days ahead of that announcement, in terms of do you think possibly he's a chip in being moved and that chip is slightly more uh, exotic and exciting for a buying team because he has two years left on his contract rather than one? Well, I think it'd be really, really, really attractive. Yeah. Uh, if you're a I team do. up there and and you're looking at this wide receiver class, I kind of like DJ Moore and Christian Kirk. Yeah, the, those two guys are nice players. But if you could get a Devontae Parker for essentially free on his rookie contract... And just move down mm-hmm. two spots or three spots or five spots that you wanted to move down anyway. Yeah, it's a great Cause, deal for them. Because given they went, given they went two for one in the replacement of Jarvis Landry, and they also want to get Jakeem Grant more involved, then yeah. how you know that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, see, because you could end up giving up one of those fourths and Parker to go from eleven to four, five, or six. And I think that's I think, I think the prices on some of these move ups uh, could surprise us on the low side, and I, just because of how much how many teams want to move down, how desperate they are to move down, and particularly once the quarterbacks kind of come off a little bit, then I think the prices are going to sink down. And so if Miami, if this is their guy, if Roquan Smith is their guy, and Tom Pelissero was Pelissero was talking about this earlier, you know Mike Tannenbaum's history. And you talk to people around the league. His history is: if you've got a guy, you go get him. You know yeah. that's that's what you do. You go get your guy, and that's what he did with the Jets, and that's what he's done in Miami too. He will manipulate the draft to go get how, a guy. How do you think the reaction will be when, if wet slash when the Dolphins jump up and they're on the clock, and there is still at least one of those high-level quarterbacks on the market, and then they step to the podium and announce it's not a quarterback. What do you think the reaction will be? Well, I think uh, I, Dolphin fans are going to do what they always do. They're going to call everybody idiots. They're going to throw <laughs> tantrums on Twitter. Bitch and moan, you mean? And I'm going to go fight yeah. with them uh, immediately. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it depends on which guy. I don't sense, like, I sense that, uh, and I did a Twitter poll to this uh, to this effect, Lamar Jackson is definitely a fan favorite. I think the the majority of the fans would really love to see Lamar Jackson end up going to the Dolphins at number eleven overall. Um, I don't no, I don't necessarily think that Josh Rosen is though, and certainly Josh Allen is the guy that everybody loves to destroy on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So passing on Josh Allen is not going to you know really piss anybody off. Passing no, on I've, Josh I've even Rosen. Seen, I've even seen a lot of Baker Mayfield hatred on Dolphins yeah, Twitter. Yeah, there, there, there is some of that out there too. I mean, passing. I don't think they're going to pass on Baker personally. I don't think he has any chance whatsoever of being available at eleven. And if he was, I don't think they're going to pass on him. But if if they pass on Josh Rosen, I, I'd say it's you know maybe a good thirty or thirty percent of people might they might be a little mad, something like that. Nobody's mad if they pass on Josh Allen, really. And uh, and then, you know, they're all going to be mad about passing on Lamar Jackson, but they're going to say, well, you know, he's not uh, he wasn't rated up there anyway, because everybody loves Lamar Jackson. But at the same time, they're like, well, you should trade down and get him. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we talked about trade up options. What about we're staying there? Mm -hmm. What do you think? I mean, let's I'm going to throw some names just quickly give run through some answers. Let's go from the top in terms of quarterback. If any of the quarterbacks are on the board, and really it doesn't really matter who who they are, but I suppose they're most likely to be, I suspect most likely to be Rosen, 
Jackson and maybe Allen. If any of those three are on the boards, yes or no, would we take them at eleven? Well, this, I would. Uh, <laughs> Simon, Simon, do you think do you think the uh, connection between between Adam Gase and I mean at Jay Cutler's retirement party, there's a picture floating around. Adam Gase is is buddying up with Jed Fish, who obviously coached Josh Rosen at UCLA. Do you think that connection plays into this? Uh, how do you how do you see that playing out? Well, I mean, I'm told that uh, I'm told that that, that Fish and uh, and Adam Gase are very close. The word best friends was used. Wow. In terms of their relationship, you've obviously we've obviously seen the photo of them at uh, Cutler's wedding. Fish coach Rosen in 2017. They are very close. I mean, I, I was told that Fish is a is a close confidant of Adam Gaze. They talk very often. They watch a lot of football together. They sit and watch games together. I know that Fish was uh, for the last two years has been to the Dolphins facility for a period of time during the spring. Um, so, uh, and, and these guys essentially lock themselves away uh, in a room and just watch and talk football. Um, so that's got, you know, that's got to have a major influence on what Adam Gase thinks about Josh Rosen. It's got to, you know. That's if, so that's if, so big. I hadn't heard I hadn't heard that before until you if, until you found that out. If, that's if, that's pretty amazing. If Fish, if Fish is selling Josh Rosen, and you know, I researched Fish's comments on Rosen during the period with which they worked together. And subsequently, and, you know, you could not, I mean, this is the the total opposite of how Jim Mora talked about Josh Rosen. Mm-hmm. Fish could not have been nicer about Rosen in terms of what he brings to the table, right. his leadership, his accuracy, his ability to run that offense, his NFL readiness. So, you know, I think, I mean, there is a, they, they definitely have a, they definitely have a foot in the Rosen camp and a really strong foot. So, you know, they're going to know and they're going to be, you know, Fish will have talked, Gaze potentially talked him into Josh Rosen if he's there because of the strength of that relationship. They are very, very close friends. I think, I think that's a, that's a great point to bring up. Do you think, do you think there's anything to, you know, the injury history, the concussions, uh, is Josh Rosen mobile enough? Alf, do you think, do you think that Josh Rosen has the mobility that uh, maybe Miami would want? He doesn't really compare very well to Ryan Tannehill, who we know is a favorite of uh of adam gase's uh as far as mobile mobility goes well i heard specifically that adam gase gave scouting staff uh, a talk where he made it explicitly known that he considered in this day and age a quarterback that wasn't mobile or didn't have athleticism and couldn't run to be an incomplete player now i don't know how hmm. you reconcile that telling your scouting staff this is this type of player is incomplete in my eyes but mm. then go and use number 11 on him but what we're we talking about in terms of mobility because he's got he's light on his feet his footwork is crisp in the pocket he can manipulate the pocket really well and look adam gaze's greatest success came with one of the most immobile quarterbacks in the last generation in peyton manning you yeah. know and rosen is a much better mover much better pocket manipulator than um than, than Manning was. Josh Rosen is clearly not going to turn into Lamar Jackson or to Michael Vick and sprint 60 yards for a touchdown, but he, he's not in a wheelchair back there either. I mean, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's make that clear as well. You know, he is not, uh, you know, he is not immobile in terms of how he can manipulate the pocket. And the reality is, how many times often are we going to want him to tuck and run the ball? How many times does that happen? How many times does Tom Brady, how many times does that, I mean, Rogers does it more, but he's just different. But, you know, you look at the top tier quarterbacks in the NFL, how often do they really tuck the ball and, uh, and run for first downs. Carson Wentz didn't do it an awful lot. Uh, did Nick Foles do it in the Super Bowl? Did he do it in any of the games leading up to the to to Philly's Philly's win? 
Do you know what I mean? I just think yeah. we can overplay the hand on certain things and kind of miss the... Uh, we did it a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, where we talked about we were sort of overthinking Roquan Smith. Uh, mm. Maybe we're guilty of overthinking Josh Rosen in, in one or two of these areas. The only thing that bothered me a little bit about Josh Rosen with the injury history is that if you watch him and you watch all the other quarterbacks, his hits, the hits that he takes, seem to be harder than the ones that mm. the other guys take. Apart from uh, Luke uh, Falk. Yeah, apart from Luke Falk. Who yeah. He might be I dead mean, that, by now. I mean, that concussion he suffered against Washington, the Vita Vea hit, was was nasty. And then the one that was a couple of weeks later, wasn't it? Was it against Cal, I think, a couple of weeks later, when he got knocked out of the game again? And you just think, you know, that's that's two in a kind of a close uh, in a close area, close space of time, and you wonder how much that affected him. But I don't know. I just wonder whether we overthink these things just a little bit. Uh, Maybe. I'm sensitive. I'm sensitive to that point in particular. Are we overthinking the, these things? And I, I think it's a point well made um, about that. But at the same time, you know, you have I, I kind of see it. What what Alpha's saying, you get in front of your staff and you're saying, you know, this guy's incomplete if he's not mobile, if he's not really athletic. And then you go ahead and take the guy that takes vicious shots in the backfield and isn't very athletic. I mean, it's 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 like saying, you know, we our old argument about. Uh, completion percentage and and Josh Allen's like saying completion percentage is really important to me now I'm going to go take Josh Allen um, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit off and I would add that a couple of things that we have heard that sort of support the um, the idea that they're placing a little bit more emphasis on mobility is early in the process Alf you will recall that um, that you heard that they had some in- interest in Quentin Flowers from USF who is obviously, I mean, I, I don't think he can even throw the ball yet. They they were interested in him as a project. Uh, the thing that well, he has going for him is is athleticism and mobility. Yeah. Um, and that and then the other guy uh, just recently, and I might I might mention or talk about him later, is Alex McGow of Florida International University. The Dolphins just dined with him a couple of days ago. That just on came Wednesday out night. Uh, last night. Yeah, on Wednesday. Last night they just died. They just had dinner with him. Well, he what was is a he? Local pro day as well, wasn't he? Yeah. What is what is he? He's a guy that runs four six two. I mean, that's so. If you're looking at mobility, are they placing an emphasis on it? We talk about a little bit Kyle Aletta and how much of an athlete he is, and and we speculate whether the Dolphins whether that's right up their alley. I mean, is this important to them, or is it not important to them, or or do we see both sides, and maybe they're just gonna say. All comers are welcome. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Okay, here's another one then. We just did quarterbacks. What if Saquon Barkley makes it to 11? Quickly, yes or no? You run up there with the with the card and turn it in with his name on it. Yeah, Chris. Absolutely, I think the Dolphins would do that all day. I, I think that's that's one of their their best players in the draft for them, and they'll just they'll just have. Kenyon Drake and Saquon Barkley touch it 40 times a game. We we don't know this because we're not inside. The, you know, we all have our, our connections, but none of us, you know, apart from apart from Engroth and Gase and, and Tannenbaum and Greer, uh, you know, they they are the the inside guys, and only they know what's happening. But we do know that there is a they do like and have spent a lot of time with Georgia's Sony Michelle. Eleven would obviously feel potentially too high for him but i would imagine he's pretty high on their board yeah he had the maximum amount of visits so would you take him at 11 would you be shocked if they took him at 11 yeah i would be floored i'd fall on my face he has he does have a lot of medical to get through himself uh two acls you know with two acls i mean just throw it out there just cover no it's 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 good to throw out there but uh, to me that's a little rich for my blood that's not worth the price of admission at 11 
Um, now, what about we talked about we talked about uh, the defensive backside. You've already mentioned the two. Uh, do we need to discuss Minka Fitzpatrick and Derwin James? Uh, what do you think? What do you think the Dolphins are going to do if those two are on the board or one of those two is on the board? If I had to make a line, I would say Minka Fitzpatrick is a clear-cut favorite to be taken at 11. Mm-hmm. And Derwin James is likely to go before that, so they won't have a, uh, an opportunity. But I don't see how those two guys are not number one and number two on their wish list. It's what they need, and it's at a premium position. Yeah, I think they would. T- I, I, I thought originally they would take Fitzpatrick first, but the, the closer we get, the more I wonder whether or not, because James's ceiling is so high, mm-hmm. whether or not they would take him, even though he potentially does a little less than what you'd want. Uh, and people sort of, people have mentioned to me, why don't you take a safety? We've already got two safeties. Why? Uh, and I think, in a way, people are underthinking this in that you're not going to play these guys just at safety. You know, Minka could play all six positions and a lot, you know, both outside corner positions, both safety spots, nickelback, dimeback, and then he could play linebacker as well if, if needed to. Derwin, obviously, would you play in boundary corner? I'm not so sure. He's not Jalen Ramsey necessarily, but, you know, you could potentially see how he played out there. But you could definitely play him at nickel, you could play him at dime, you could play him at both safety spots, and you absolutely could play him at weak side linebacker as a sort of sideline to sideline kind of guy at 216. And if he didn't work out as a DB, he has 10 pounds and he's a, uh, you know, he's an absolutely phenomenal weak side linebacker for you. So, and what he does that I think Minka doesn't do because of the height issue is that Derwin could become the tight end eliminator that this defense has lacked for the longest time. 6'3", 216 pounds. You're not going to see a Travis Kelsey running open or a Rob Gronkowski running open or the guy that killed us from the Raiders who used to be with the Packers running open who killed us on Sunday night football. You're just not going to see that because Derwin James with that size and that athletic freak show that he is, he's going to be able to shut that down. So I think if both of those players were on the board, for me, I think they would take James. But I think Derwin will go. You know, I was speaking to David Morgetta, Derwin's agent, the other night. And obviously he didn't give anything away. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Buccaneers were the landing spot for Derwin at seven. I look at Derwin James and I just see the guy that's got the quickest and surest path to being an all pro out of anybody on the defensive side of the ball in this draft. I, I think agree. that he's just he's he's a freak show. Uh, we've talked about this many times before. And and Simon, you mentioned this before. Uh, he is behind the scenes in the Florida State locker room. I mean, he is a big time leader and yeah. a big time locker room guy there. You, the quote that you had, you said that when Derwin speaks, everyone listens. And that goes for coaches. That goes for everybody in the organization. Uh, and the and, one thing that, that it goes for as well, the one thing that I was told, that goes even for Bobby Bowden, the legend of Florida State. That goes, if Derwin talks, even Bobby Bowden listens. That's, that's, that's incredible. Much, absolutely. That and think about think about the theme of the offseason. Think about the theme of the offseason that we saw immediately take effect when, you know, the opening salvo of free agency and when all those guys are being sort of jettisoned off the roster and the new guys are being sh- are being, you know, shown in the door. Um, it's it's about character. It's about work ethic. It's about locker room personality and, you know, not being a guy that, you know, d- engages in any bs or allows bs to go on i mean that's derwin james that's derwin james and what better what better opportunity do you have to set the tone you know again after you've already done it with uh free agency but you know it's round two 
with the draft, not literally round two, but uh, the the draft, than with your number eleven overall pick. And that's what I think is gonna is gonna happen. That's why I'm not necessarily a buyer on some. Maybe we could talk about Tremaine Edmonds and and stuff like that. It's not that there's anything wrong with some of these guys, but I think that they're gonna want these guys to be like headline leader types. And headline leader types for me are Minka Fitzpatrick with Alabama and Derwin James with Florida State and Roquan Smith with Georgia. I think those are the guys that if you if you really had to narrow it down to three, then those are the three that I would narrow it down because all three of them are not going to be off the board by the time that uh, Miami picks at 11. And so if they don't get Roquan Smith, I think that you know there's a good chance, there's a better chance that Derwin is still on the board, or there's a better chance that Minka is still on the board. Let's not sell. Let's not sell Minka short. Uh, he has some pretty gaudy endorsements. Nick Saban called him the best football player he's coached at Alabama. That's that is saying something, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, I had the lucky. I was lucky enough to be sideline last season for Mississippi State and LSU. You just see it. You just hear it from the sideline. The way he communicates him and Rashawn Evans, and then in the locker room. And I, I saw a quote last week that Minka had been to visit a team and the team personnel director or the GM had said when he walked in, he was in a suit jacket and he had a kind of a leather bag with him, like a briefcase with notes and stuff in it. And he said he just carried himself like a five-year pro. And that's the mm-hmm. kind of guy he is. These two guys are special. I mean, just going back to, to back to Derwin f- for a second. I mean, he, I, when I spoke to Morgetta, his agent yesterday, he said that Derwin has not taken any, has not done any workouts at all. So he's, he's visited teams, but not worked out for any teams. And the reason he hasn't worked out for teams is because he's been working out solely with Earl Thomas and Landon Collins. So they are two of Mulgetta's clients, and he's been working out every single day with, okay, Collins has had two really good years, and Earl Thomas is going to the Hall of Fame. You know, if you could learn to play safety from any NFL safety, it would be Earl Thomas. You look back when he first. When he first was recruited by Florida State, there was they posted a video of him jumping, clean jumping, over a, an adult male. He was probably five foot eleven. This guy, I mean, literally, <laughs> you think I'm joking? He literally jumped over. I mean, the man slightly ducked his head, but you know, he didn't bend over or anything. He didn't bend his knees. He ducked his head a little bit, and James jumped over him, clear overhead. And then he talked to a guy like Mario Evans, the former Florida State defensive end, who works with the players down there. Um, you know, he's the director, I think, of player development. And he, he will talk to you about intangibles, the leadership, the practice habits, and the film study that Derwin puts in. I mean, he he operates as an NFL player at a major college football university. And that, for me, is just another reason why teams are going to be, you know, itching to take him off the board in those top sort of six or seven picks. I know you won't agree with me on this, but I think that there's a better chance that Derwin James goes above us than that Roquan Smith does. I think that there there's more. I think all the things that we love about him, all the things that scream at us, I think have to be screaming at these other teams, and we're already hearing about some of these other teams that are that are um, that are really on to him, like the Buccaneers at seven. I think there's a better chance that Roquan is available at 11 than there is that Derwin is personally. That's just my opinion. The last time I heard this type of talk over a, a safety was Malik Hooker. Where did he go? He went to the Col- yeah, he went 15, to the Colts, but at what number? 14, yeah, it was, was it? Was it 12? Maybe 12, yeah. So Glassnall went 11, didn't he? Yeah, so he went exactly where he was mocked. Mm-hmm. So he didn't surprise anybody. So I think that the, we might be surprised that Derwin might be the, there like around 7. He was the fifth, 15th overall pick, Malik. Okay. Yeah. Don't forget, didn't he come off? A, did he have an injury? Yeah, he did. 
He did. He did. He was he was definitely coming off an injury. Um, sure. And he didn't have he didn't really have, I don't think, elite measurables. He had a torn labrum and a sports hernia. That's why I think that's probably a little bit why he fell. I mean, if you're talking about freaks, uh, then I think that Derwin James is a physical freak and always has been since the moment he stepped on to Florida State. Oh, um, before, even before then. And, and he, far before then, right. He was um, a freshman varsity. I mean, Malik Hooker yeah. was more of a guy that in practice intercepted a billion you know, balls. And then when he got out there, you know, just continued that on. And so he was a guy that played really well. I don't think he was necessarily a guy that measured out um, like Derwin James does. I think Derwin James is sort of like your your planet theory type freak, except not on the defensive line, but in, I mean, the, in the secondary. Athletics and football is in Derwin James's. I mean, Mike James is his cousin. Vincent Carlos Williams, the, the, the linebacker and, and running oh. back, they're both cousins as well. His father was a was a kind of celebrated high school football player at mm-hmm. Haines City High and, uh, and went to junior college in Michigan. Um you know, so he's uh, he is not. It's a bit like Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham's mother is a very, very, very good track athlete. Uh, I just think there's something genetically that just came through, and Derwin has just got the he's got the special gene. Oh, I was just yeah. trying to say that segues us pretty perfectly into the one guy we haven't talked about, and we probably ought to because there's a fair chance that he could be the Dolphins' pick at 11. Um, especially, you know, various uh, various local guys believe that he's a serious possibility. Speaking of family, speaking of genetics, the son of Farrell Edmonds, former Miami Dolphin, uh, Tremaine Edmonds of Virginia Tech, is if he's on the board at 11, do the Dolphins pick him? I would say yes, but it would depend on who else is on the board. You know, if it's a Minka versus Tremaine, it's an interesting question. But I, I, I do think, I mean, I do think, let's say Minka and Derwin both go early. Uh, Roquan's gone and Tremaine Edmonds is still there. I think you've got to take him. I think you've got to because he's just got so much natural talent. And I just think the ceiling is so high. I think the floor for him is probably lower than other people. But I think the ceiling is, you know, apart from Derwin James, there's not that many people whose ceilings are, are higher. His, his potential is off the charts. And you look at tape from the start of the season and then you look at tape from the end of the season and the mistakes he was making earlier on in the season as a as a 19-year-old, or probably an, even an 18-year-old, I think he turned 19 during the season, he's eradicated them. You know, mm-hmm. yes, he's going to learn. And yes, you're probably, you know, and I, as much as I talk, you know, we always talk up the guys that we like, don't we? And I, you know, I've been on the record as liking him for a long time. I'm not a massive Marcus Davenport fan. And I came out last week and said that, you know, you draft Davenport, you, it's probably going to be a mulligan year. Maybe you'd have to look for a mulligan year for Tremaine as well because of his age and because of some of the little things that the nuance of the NFL game that he might just not be mature enough to be able to handle. But to me, he's a, just a hellacious talent. I would, I think you have to take him. You have to take him. Alf, what do you do? You think they they would go for Tremaine? Well, Mike Mayock mocked them to to Miami at eleven. I would. I, I think that too many people have to be off the board for them to take him because, yeah, mm. the the upside is huge. But this is a team that keeps preaching that they want to compete for a playoff spot. And mm-hmm. I don't know about it, about Tremaine Ed- Edmonds making a huge impact as a rookie. I just don't see I, it. To that, to that point, um, and you know, we get back to the theme of the leadership and, and stuff like that, I, I compare him to, because another young guy that Miami took last year in the second round, Raekwon McMillan, he was also an absurdly young player uh, coming out of Ohio State. And I compare the two, the two of them, but by the time Raekwon had come out, it had become clear, and, and it had been true for multiple years, 
that he was one of the leaders of that locker room. I mean, he was he was entrenched. He was captain type status. I think was he a multi year captain, even though he was uh, that young or something like that. It was it was insane. Um, Tremaine Edmonds, you know, he, he's young uh, and he he does his work, but I don't. I mean, you hear good things about him. You don't necessarily hear that sort of thing about him. You don't hear the same things that you hear about Roquan Smith or, uh, you know, Derwin James. Um, so I wonder if if that means that he's a little bit down, a little bit down the board. And if we're talking about who's going to be available at number 11, I mean, there's only 10 picks above us. We all think four quarterbacks, or I, I think most of us think that four quarterbacks are going to go, at least four quarterbacks are going to go above us, plus Bradley Chubb, plus Saquon Barkley, plus Quentin Nelson. So really, the other three, who are the other three, uh, if it's Derwin James, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Roquan Smith exactly, then okay, Miami's out of luck. But you know, what are the chances that that's the case? The other, the other thing we probably need to throw in a bit of breaking news, obviously, is that Reuben Foster's girlfriend says that she lied and that, that Reuben Foster didn't injure her, which essentially has huge ramifications for the Dolphins in mm-hmm. terms of you know, the 49ers potentially now don't need a linebacker. You know, and all of a sudden, lots of people mocking Edmonds and Smith, potentially, if they get there to, to the 49ers at 9, Oakland at 10. Well, all of a sudden, that might take, you know, linebacker off the board for the 49ers. So that, that, there's some pretty big ramifications there with that news. And and put more pressure on them maybe to trade down and and get uh, – because they need a pass rusher really bad. They had Elvis Dumerville last year doing – you know, he had, I think, 300 pass rush snaps. Now they don't have him anymore. The only outside pass rusher that they really have there is Jeremiah Atauchu, and that's yeah. that's awful. That's awful. Let's call that what it is. Eli so, Harold. Yeah, Eli Harold is that is that he, is he even better than Atauchu? I don't know. Well, um, so you know they really need somebody, at, but nine feels like a little early for you know for them to take your your favorite guy uh, Simon Marcus Davenport. Um, <laughs> so or or even or even Landry, Harold Landry. So they're going to want to trade down and they're going to want to, you know, monetize their position a little bit and then still get a pass rusher. I think, or at least that's where I think they're going to want to go. One quick question about 11. We haven't mentioned a single offensive player. Is there a single offensive player that intrigues you at 11? Besides the obvious, Saquon Barkley. Some tumbleweeds there. there's, There's offensive players I like, but there's just not value there for, for what we need, you know, tight end, no wide receiver. There's guys I like Miller, Kirk, Moore. You mentioned Ridley. I think spectacular at times, but no, I don't think there's a there's a player that we can mention. Here's a name for you. And, and again, we're going to go to break in a sec. So yes or no is literally yes or no. Mike McGlinchey. Smart people say he's going to go in the top ten. Dolphins? Absolutely well, not. Kill me now. Perfect. Defensively, <laughs> quickly, let's rattle through it. Vita Vea, Deron Payne. No, and maybe. Chris, I I think Vita Vea is a possibility, um, but I'm not sure. I think they might want to go a different direction from defensive tackle. I hate the idea that it's it's a bad position, like it's now not valuable, even though it's always been valuable. But the Dolphins do want to go the direction of having a third defensive end, specifically a third defensive end playing at defensive tackle a lot more. And if they do that then that takes away some of the defensive tackle snaps. And now they're looking at maybe getting, instead of a complete defensive tackle that they need, now maybe more of a role player. And 
while I, ha- I don't know that there are a lot of complete defensive tackles in this draft, they're all at the top. Uh, there are several role players that they could get. And if that's the way they're going to go, you know, risky as it is, then I think that's off the board. Yes or no, Harold Landry? No. No. Yes or no, Marcus Davenport? Maybe. No, I wish, but no. Yes or no, Rashawn Evans? No. No. Yes or no, Leighton Van Der Esch? No. No. We'll talk about that maybe in a trade down, but not, no. Yes or no, Jaya Alexander? Intriguing, but no. Too too short for our system. Came in last week as a 30 visit. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes or no, Mike Hughes? No. This combination of size and uh, and some character things in the background will scare them off the first round. Yeah. No. Last one. Yes or no, Joshua Jackson? No. No. Okay. There we go. We rattled through enough names there. Like that was we cut about 20 minutes out of there. It was perfect. <laughs> coming up, we're gonna coming up, we're gonna preview days two and three of the draft. But first, some words from some very good people. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Carlo Navas. And unfortunately, the Heat have been eliminated from the playoffs because the Sixers and the referees are clearly cheating. Um, jokes aside, we're still going to be going strong. Every Monday, look for new episodes of the Heat Beat Podcast. We're going to be going into the Heat's future, past, and present, as well as going around the league. And we're going to be guest-heavy throughout this postseason run. So check us out at MIA Heat Beat on Twitter and Miami Heat Beat on Facebook so we can keep you posted on what's to come. This week on the Five Reasons Podcast, we're joined for a two-part episode by Eric Reed, the TV voice of the Miami Heat. He recounts some of his best memories from his 30 years with the franchise. Now we play the Bulls in this third game of the series at Miami Arena, first playoff home game in the history of the franchise, and we run, I think Michael Jordan played like 72 holes of golf on game day, okay? <laughs> and we run out to a 31-10 lead, uh, you know, in the first quarter, held Jordan to two points in the first quarter. He scored 54 in the last three. Um, the Bulls did beat Miami. Jordan finished with 56. And it's the only time in the history of the franchise where you didn't feel bad after being eliminated in the playoffs. Part one is already available. Part two available later in the week. Subscribe to Five Reasons Sports on Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. Hey, Chris, why don't you tell the people about the Balls cast? <laughs> don't mind if I do. <laughs> don't mind if I do. Hey, listen up. The Balls cast is a podcast about Miami sports. All Hold kinds on, of Miami Hold things. On. Hold on. Fuck. Culture and politics. While two dudes smoke weed and sometimes drink a little bit of, you know. But mostly smoking and a lot of talking. It's a good time, Balls Cast. So you guys should check it out. (laughs) I'm going to pass out, man. Oh, no, I really am. Don't, 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 (laughs) don't pass out. Welcome back to Three Arts Carry with myself, Simon Clancy, Chris Kaufman, and Alfredo Artiago. We are less than 24 hours away from the draft, if you're listening. Um, you may even be half that time away from the draft, depends where you're listening to us from. So welcome, thank you. We've done the first pick, the Dolphins' first pick at 11. 
Now let's have a look at what they might potentially do at pick 42 in the second round and in the third round. They then have two picks in the fourth, nothing in the fifth, one in the sixth, and two very early in the seventh round. So, boys, what are you thinking about with that very interesting 40-second pick? Because we know that really good players are going to fall. Well, last year, you remember where we heard that they wanted a strong side backer, that defensive staff wanted a strong side backer that was capable of playing five tech. And there's a guy who fits that description to a T, Lorenzo Carter of Georgia. And he could be there at 42. Yeah, I think it's actually it's pretty scary how much Lorenzo Carter fits that description because we talked about back then when we heard about this, we we're like, that's a really odd you know, combination to be asking for a, a linebacker that can play stacked linebacker in Miami's 4-3 approach and then also just put his hand down and rush the passer from a five technique. That's that's really odd. But Lorenzo Carter just fits it, you know, to a scary degree. Can I throw two names out if we don't pick a linebacker in the first round? And they are Fred Warner of BYU, a guy who was one of the 30 visits guys who, who I've been banging the drum for for a while. And then Darius Leonard, a guy who also came in and the Dolphins had dinner with before his pro day. Um, he is a guy, Chris, isn't he, who sort of dominated under the radar at the Senior Bowl. I mean, listen to these numbers as a senior. He was MIAC Defensive Player of the Year, 124 tackles, 14.5 for a loss, 3.5 sacks, 2 picks, 3 pass breakups, 4 forced fumbles. Three, he's a three-down linebacker. He looks really, really smooth in coverage. He could be a um, he could be a very, very interesting second-round pick. I think um, looking at him, the way that he dominated, and he did dominate the Senior Bowl. Uh, he dominated in the practices, and he dominated during the game. There, you know, there there are stat services like Pro Football Focus that are tallying up all the stops and all the the tackles, and his his tackle counts. And stop counts and stuff and things like that were just off off the charts, really, um, compared to everybody else. So he he went there and was immediately. He's one of those guys. It looks like, and if you account for his his production in college, he's he's like one of those guys that's going to have 150 tackles a year right off the bat uh, if he goes to the NFL. He only ran a 4.70, uh, which is not good. But he did pull his quad during that first run, and he didn't run again. So we don't know is he trying to is he trying to hide his speed um, or a lack of speed there? Is he really a three down guy? Is he this next generation of fast linebackers that's going to help us be a good nickel defense? I don't know. Uh, that's that's the question with him. Fred turned, Warner. I, sorry, I was just going to say he turned on his Clemson tape from 2016. 19 hmm. tackles in that game, and this oh, is against. Not. This is against Clemson. You know, this is not. Yeah. You know, this is not Hackensack State University. This is, this is Clemson. There's a great quote from a scout here. He's a great worker, a great learner, and I think he has a genuine chance to be a war daddy once he has an NFL training table and strength program behind him. I think once you once you have, if you already have a fast guy like a Roquan Smith or something like that, that starts to look a little bit better to me. But. Um, the lack of speed, uh, I, I wonder about, I would still take him, uh, given granted, I would still look at him in the day, in the day two round two or three area. The guy you mentioned, Fred Warner though, uh, I realize he's very athletic. I realize he's got some good tape out there. Um, I, I don't want to use the term highlights like, you know, um, in a, in a negative way, but I can watch an entire game of Fred Warner and just be depressed about what he put down <laughs> for the for the entire game. I really can. I mean, just the entire game. Like, where were you 
this whole game. And then I can watch a highlight tape and say, wow, where was that? You know, and, and so the highlight tape will show like him getting off blocks and really, you know, making plays on the ball and showing off his athleticism. So that's the disconnect for me is like the highlights don't really match the full games for me whenever I watch him. The thing about Darius Leonard that I think is a huge red flag is that from his sophomore year to his senior year, he put on 50 pounds. And if you look at his body, he still has that high school type big guy body, which is he's yeah. lean, long, lean. He looks like a basketball player. He's long arms, isn't he? Yeah, 6'2", 234 pounds, but he doesn't look it. Like, I don't know if... That that's the type of body. Well, you know, we've seen it with uh, with the guy in Atlanta. What's his name? Dion Dion Jones. Yeah, yeah. So you know, maybe it's not that much of a red flag, but fifty pounds in two years, I don't know. Dion Jones. Yeah. Dion Jones was kind of a small guy, but I, just to put a just to put a pen or a, a number on how big his wingspan and Darius Leonard, he's got thirty four and a half inch arms and mm. a six foot ten inch wingspan. I, mean, I don't. I don't want to punish him for that. Do you? No, his arms are long. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a good thing to me, and I I think it's a well point well made that maybe he gained weight too fast and you know isn't comfortable yet in his body. But you know, thirty eight inch vertical, ten foot eight inch broad jump. Uh, I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah. The, what was that wingspan again on Darius Leonard? Six six foot ten. Wow. You know that oh, that's geez. Dwayne Wade's wingspan, and Dwayne Wade is yeah. two inches taller than him. And Dwayne Wade's considered a guy with a very long wingspan. Yeah, no, this guy's freakish. Yeah. What about a guy like Nate Shepard from Fort Hayes State, the big defensive tackle at forty-two? I know that he really impressed people at the Senior Bowl, and I, so so there are people that are on him. I know there are NFL people onto him. I've tried to. I, I don't know how much Fort Hayes State you get a chance to watch. I've tried to watch some, <laughs> and when I have, I haven't been able to quite you know isolate whether i'm just looking at a guy that's that's at fort hayes state playing a bunch of guys that run 6-0 and and you know if that run like run like rich eisen basically uh <laughs> if and so you know i'm not sure i'm not sure if if he's really separating just because of that or or what he is at the next level it's a big big question mark for me he's not javon Hogg. no right is he no, 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 not really. Now at forty-two, the guy that intrigues me is Harrison Phillips. Okay, I, I'm with good. you. I'm with you there. Okay. Now here's the thing about Harrison Phillips. If you watch him, it doesn't seem like he knows what what he's doing when he's trying to get after the quarterback, but he still mm-hmm. has six and a half sacks and seven and a half sacks. And what I found in, yeah. insane was that he led his defense in tackles oh. last year. He had a hundred and three yeah, last year at the defensive tackle that position. That is absolutely. That's that's unique. I've never. I don't know. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen that before. I've never I'm not heard. sure that I have. I mean, that's that's incredible. Um, but I, I will say that this, uh, as for the sack count and stuff like that, you know, again, if you look at the analytics, Pro Football Focus puts this stuff together. His pressure rate is really poor. I mean, very, oh very poor. So, so he's like he's more or less like a Danny Shelton. If not, not to compare the body type or the way they play, they're very different players. But Danny Shelton, if you remember, he had a high sack count. But his pressures, I mean, he, he didn't really pressure. He's, he's a big, fat guy. He's 350 pounds, 360 pounds, something like that. Plays very powerfully. He runs like a 5'5 five, five or a 5'6. You know, he's not, a, he's not a pass rusher. And Harrison Phillips is a lot like that. He has a huge off-the-charts, like, stop percentage, uh, like TFLs and stuff like that, uh, where he makes plays on the runner. But uh, against the pass, he's 
basically a blank and he's sort of a one-dimensional run stopper, which is okay. I mean, if Miami's going to have pass rushers on the interior now, they're going to put defensive ends on the interior, they're going to put guys like William Hayes on the interior, then the the guys to complement these are guys that you can count on to stop the run. And, man, is he, is he really, really compelling. He's, he is, isn't he? He's really good against the run, isn't he? I mean, a, a proper, proper run to it. You know, stack and shed the hands. You know, what about those two? I mean, it would be in the second round, but the, the, the two Miami guys, uh, McIntosh and uh, the other guy's name escapes me, but the two... Um, Chad Thomas. Yeah, Chad Thomas, in terms of, uh, you know, came to the local pro day. McIntosh especially is quite intriguing. What do you think about those guys in later rounds? I saw them play a lot. McIntosh is a hard no. And Chad Thomas, I think we could take him in the fourth round if we're really intrigued. Uh, Kendrick Norton. No. Kendrick Norton is the other, the other defensive tackle yeah. there. He's a hard no. Uh, too bad of a body. Okay. Right. Interesting. Fair. Um, now, what about now? It was switching, switching the other side of the ball, really, uh, at running back. And we've talked about him already, I think. Rashad Penny out of San Diego State. Yes. And I, th- I think we just talked about him earlier today. You know, what... There's one thing, there's one obvious thing that we know he doesn't have because we've we've sort of made fun of it and talked about it in the past but with his blocking. But if you take aside the blocking that he showed in a few days of a few practices at the Senior Bowl, he was a terrible blocker, obviously. Um, but is that is that meaningful for the projection? And, you know, the second second question is, what else does he lack aside from that? Because I'm struggling. This guy is a fantastic ball carrier. He makes people miss at a rate that's, you know, higher than virtually everybody else. And he breaks tackles, gets a lot of yards after contact. He catches the ball really well. He could be he could be if anybody could out could come out there and be like sort of an Alvin Kamara kind of guy catching the ball i actually think rashad penny could do that do do we think do we make too much of the blocking sometimes i mean isn't that what frank gore is here for to take a guy like him under his wing and teach him to block yeah i, I completely agree i i don't think it's i don't th- i don't think we should even care uh the guy had seven kickoff returns for t- for touchdowns okay <laughs> that's insane seven kickoff returns for touchdowns Led the nation. He's a two hundred. He's a he's a two hundred and twenty pound running back. Yes, kid. he is, and he finishes runs too. He's not he's not a guy who's yeah. going to dance around you, you know. No, no, no. no. The, the guy. The, the more I watched, the more I saw from him. I was like, you know, maybe I'm I'm overthinking this. Maybe he mm. should go ahead of Sony Michelle. Mm-hmm. And I'm to the point where at forty two, if they're both there, you know, mm. I might just say, you know what, one guy has an injury history and the other guy doesn't. Give me Penny. True. I would have to look closely at the injury history with Sony Michelle and and see you know what that really is because I'm I'm not privy to this stuff. I I, I recognize that. But do you really uh, think we take a running back at forty two? I think I we think we one. might. I think we might because uh, think about this, Simon. Uh, when have we seen Ryan? And I know this is true of most quarterbacks. So, but when have we seen Ryan Tannehill be at his absolute best? Is when he's got a ground game going for him. When he's got a really dangerous ground game. And I know that other quarterbacks, everybody's better when they've got a ground game. But I think Tannehill might be a little more sensitive to that than some other quarterbacks. I think he's a different guy. Um, and so if you've got a ground game, I, how much can you really count on Kenyon Drake? He never stayed healthy in Alabama. Uh, you could argue he didn't. He hasn't necessarily stayed healthy in Miami, even in his short career. 
Um, and Frank Gore is is 47 years old. Mm. So, I mean, yeah. how much how much can you really count on them? So I'm going to rattle through some of these sections because otherwise I'll be getting up for work before the podcast is even finished. <laughs> Tight end, 42, Goda, Hurst. Do you think they go earlier? Do you think we have to wait maybe for Mark Andrews, who might fall because teams might be worried about the diabetes, might be worried that he's not, in inverted commas, the explosive athlete? And Ian Thomas, somebody we've talked about before that we like very much. Chris Herndon seems to be getting a bit of love. Obviously, 42 is too high for him, but you think that tight end is a, a legitimate and big-time target at that point? I think Goldert think... makes perfect sense at 42, and Mark Andrews as well, but I don't think Mark Andrews will be there. I think the thing I keep hearing about these tight ends, though, is that how frustrated everybody is that they don't block so yeah. and that they're going to fall down the board. So if you're taking one of 42, then it's got to be because you've got one. You want to have your pick of the entire group. Like you have a specific guy that you want to go. If it's Hayden Hurst, I don't know. Then that's who you take at 42 because you want the pick of the litter. Otherwise, you can probably even wait until the third round and and get one of these guys if you think that it's just you know sort of a top five and that you're okay with any of them then you can wait i think you can wait for the third i think ian thomas could be there in the third round and yeah, I do too. and and i think he's a perfect fit i don't know why he's not more popular he's yeah, me he's too. fantastic me too what about those big those big corners carlton davis and isaiah isaiah oliver of colorado what do you think about those two in terms of possibilities for the dolphins i think isaiah is going in the first round you think yeah yeah, yeah. The guys that I like past the first round, past Minka Fitzpatrick and Derwin James and all the you know Denzel Ward, all the guys that we know, they're all should be there in the third and beyond. Here's a guy. I'm going to throw a name for you at 42 that ticks a lot of boxes that we've talked about in terms of he's obviously not the same guy, but in terms of Minka and Derwin, MJ Stewart of North Carolina who was superb at the senior bowl, played played man coverage as a cornerback. He's going to remind you a lot of Micah Hyde, the former Packers now, Buffalo All-Pro safety, in fact. MJ Stewart is a guy I really, really like. I think could uh, could be a real difference maker on the back end. Wasn't he Wasn't he mostly Was he mostly a slot corner? Am I recalling he played, that correctly? He played all three. He played outside, he played slot, okay. and he played safety. He will come up and hit you in the mouth, but he is, he, he's got good hips, he's fluid. You know, he's kind of a bit, I, I suppose, it, because he didn't hold down a single position, they moved him around quite a lot just to cover. He was their best cover man, and they put him at the cut. Then they played him safety. Then they put him in the slot because he, teams were killing North Carolina out with, you know, with slot receivers and stuff. So they kind of put him, he was like the plug, I suppose. They just plugged him where the, the, the biggest hole was. Um, but I thought he was very, very good at the senior bowl. He's a, a, an under-the-radar guy, a real under-the-radar player. I, I think the Dolphins would like him an awful lot. My biggest memory of him is Christopher Herndon running past him in their <laughs> game last year. And he's uh, what, supposed to be a slot specialist, but, you know, I don't well, know. Well, he was, he, he was a slot specialist. He, he spent 120 snaps in the slot, and, you know, he, he was targeted 18 times. Only six catches, though. Uh, only six catches for 66 yards. That's what I. That's what I have for him. Um, and you know, if they're looking to, the problem is there, though. I would say that if they're not going for Minka Fitzpatrick, who, you know, brings that slot ability to the table, but also brings so much more, you know, all these other things to the table, then you, you have to reconcile the fact that Adam Gase has kind of gone to bat a little bit for Bobby McCain, uh, mm. publicly. And and so, I like McKay. I'm on the record yeah. saying I like McKay. Yeah, 
I, I agree with you. I think that he's been good. Uh, there have been times when it, he's even looked like the best of the guys that we have there. Um, so that's that's the thing that you have to that you have to um, you know reconcile with, I guess, if you're talking about that. Can I just throw a random position out there that we haven't talked about, sure. and that's kicker. We oh, lost Cody, we lost the Jupiter Juggernaut, which was foolish. I think podcast is over. <laughs> but in all seriousness, do you think we, you know, and and uh, Darren Rizzi has done a great job of finding, you know, specialists from left field. You know, he did so with uh, with Andrew Franks, for example, who he got from some sort of engineering college in deepest, darkest <laughs> Middle America. Do you think that we spend a draft pick on either the kid from Miami, um, Eddie Pinheiro of Florida, or Daniel Carson of Auburn, who potentially could go off in that fifth, sixth round area? Or do you think that you know we, we will find another sort of compelling free agent who will come in and, and make us really nervous and then kick a 60-yarder to beat Buffalo in the snow? Well, Rizzi met with Pinheiro. And he did. I, yeah, he did. He, he wined and dined Eddie Pinheiro. But... I consider myself kind of an expert on Michael Badley, and mm-hmm. I call him Michael Badley. <laughs> uh, he's an adventure. Strong leg. Yeah, but, strong yeah, leg, and was extremely accurate until this year. But you know, not even, not even Michael Badgley's mother would probably call herself an ac- expert on Michael Badgley, right. and yet you, you call yourself an expert on Michael Badgley. <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you one thing. Uh, never have I been so nervous from such a good kicking prospect, which me, which tells me that he's not a guy you spend a draft pick on. He's a guy that you bring into camp as an undrafted free agent and hope for the best. But Pinheiro, I know very little of him, but evidently they like him because they paid for his dinner. Before we wrap it up then, before we, you know, because we're now only about 20 minutes from the start of the draft, given that we've been talking for three days, um, <laughs> give me, the pair of you, three names that you think by Saturday night, Sunday morning, will be Miami Dolphins players that we will have drafted over the weekend. Chris, start with you. The first name that I'm going to give you is a guy we've talked about before. That's Kyle Laletta at quarterback. I think he fits everything that Adam Gase wants, including if you think that Adam Gase is now placing a lot of uh, high importance on mobility. Uh, that's there. He's a good athlete encyclopedic offensive uh, knowledge because he played under four different offensive coordinators, quick game specialist, which is right up Adam Gaze's alley. I think that's, uh, that's the guy that I would predict at quarterback because I don't necessarily, I mean, it's, it's less than 50, 50 that they're going to get one in the first round. Second guy I would think is going to be somehow they're going to walk away with Dallas Godert, um, the, the tight end from South Dakota state. I think that, Adam Gase has been trying to run this Y-ISO offense for a long time. They keep trying to get a tight end that can do it, and they need a good athlete. They need a guy that can make plays. Uh, This is where Adam Gase finally gets it, where he finally gets his guy. Um, And then, you know, if I have to go for another guy, then I would have to say the guy that we think, or that I think is going to be the first-round pick, and that's Roquan Smith. Okay, I got three guys. Um I don't think Sony Michelle is going to end up here. And I don't think that Rashad Penny is going to end up here because I think he's going to go in the first round. So mm-hmm. a guy that they can get in the third and beyond is Callan Balich of Arizona State. First of all, he's big, ran a 4.46 in the 40. He catches the ball great. Efficient runner. Like he'll find the he'll find 
creases and fall down for two yards when there's nothing, and he can't finish a run. And if you want to see some want, want to see some gaudy tape, just throw on his Oregon tape from 2016, and you'll see everything that I mean by him. So he'd be a really nice compliment to Kenyon Drake. Uh, then two safety types. One is Jordan Whitehead of Pittsburgh. Not necessarily ideal size, but he was a two-sport athlete in high school, and they actually played him on offense at Pittsburgh too. And I think he can play free safety and single high for us, can guard a tight end, and Ronaldo Hill was his coach. And then this last one I think is the most obvious one of them all. If they miss on Minka Fitzpatrick, they might take the second-best guy in that secondary, and that's Tony Brown. You want to guard tight ends? You don't want tight ends running free in your in your secondary? Well, you go get him, convert him to free safety, and have him have him line up in the slot against against Gronk and see how how that goes. Good size, six feet, two hundred pounds, good forty time, a leader on that defense. I think he makes perfect sense, and he'll be there like in the fourth, fifth round. Interesting. I'm going to go with, uh, and as much as I want to say Darius Leonard and Fred Warner and. MJ Stewart, and even uh, Galat Tavarius Moore, I'm going to go with Roquan Smith because I just think that is going to be the guy that they, they target heavily in the first round. I just I, I just do. Um, I think Mark Andrews, I think he just fits exactly what Ryan Tannehill does best. Um, and I think the Dolphins will have seen a lot of him because obviously they have studied Baker Mayfield a lot, but when they went to work Baker out in, uh, in Norman, uh, Andrews was catching the passes for them so obviously they would have gone up and seen them Shane Day was up there as well the tight ends coach along with Coach Gaze um, and the third guy I think is a, is a guy that I think we spent an awful lot of time talking to and he's admitted himself that uh, we have spent an awful lot of time with him the, the, the most time uh, the, of any ball club and I think that's Virginia quarterback Kurt Benkert um, who I think um, potentially could be one of those kind of guy, just that kind of gunslinger with that kind of NFL arm. Um, I think obviously some of his decision making, you 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 would you you know you'd want ironed out. But I think that could be, uh, you know, there's, he's a guy that's got. I, I saw a quote. I think it was something like, "There's no in between with him. It's either you know a big big arm throw that kind of whistles in there, or it's uh, something stupid that turns into an interception or a or a near interception. And I think if you can if you can coach the latter out of him." then you might have something interesting as a developmental quarterback. I just think you don't show that much interest in, interest in a guy if you're not interested in him, I mean, basically. So the, they would be my three guys. So, um, But, yeah, I think we're going to come away happy, don't you? I think so. I think so, yeah. I, I think – well, I, I like to be optimistic. Yeah, it's pretty Famous hard to screw words. up the 11th pick in the draft. Famous last words, of course. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mike McGlinchey, here we come. Oh, yeah. God. No, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> right. That is it for three yards per carry this week. That is our kind of our Dolphins draft preview. As you can probably tell, we could have talked until kind of the 2019 draft, given there were so many. Alpha will be back, what, Monday with a recap of all our seven picks with a sort of special draft recap edition of three yards per carry. Yes, you can Monday us, morning. Perfect. You can find us at three yards per carry uh, on social media. You can find us individually at Cyclancy, at Uptown Report, and at CK Parrot. We shall all be available, I'm sure, on social media during the draft if you want to get hold of us thanks for tuning in thanks for listening to three yards per caddy you can subscribe via itunes on podbean or your usual podcast provider
man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.